Hi. The, the, the RV. What? Yeah, there's this RV and they were playing on it. There was, we thought there was someone inside. for the best, prepare for the worst, yeah. Night. Okay, we'll get this show locked in a shower. Hell yeah. Wait, what? That we control the we control the shower from the outside. It's okay. a shower, shower. Okay. Okay. If everybody's good, then we're going to get it going. Hello and welcome to Midweek Matinee, a weekly movie podcast where we discuss one movie in depth, our feelings about the scenes, the filmography, uh, the cinematography as you may call it, the soundtrack, whatever it is that strikes us as great about the movie or not so great about the movie. Uh, If you have been keeping up, we've been doing this for a while, so as we always say, any feedback that you have over the episodes we've already done is always greatly welcome. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am joined this week, as I always am, by first and foremost, Mr. Joshua. Oh, God, it's so much pressure. Hi. Hi, everybody. <laughs> I am at Android is a Loser. Uh, I am a loser in real life, and I am, uh, I'm happy to be here, Brett. Oh, stop it. I, that's fantastic. <laughs> Thank you for making me feel like the hostess with the mostest. Uh, I'm following up here with Mr. Chris Figs. What's up, everybody? How's it going? And maybe for the first time since we've been doing this podcast, Blake is last but not least. Hey, everybody. I got to be last at some point, <laughs> I guess, huh? <laughs> yeah, you know, but also in the very wise words of one Richard Bobby... Mm. If you're not first, you're last. Um, that's true. So we're all that's a, li- that's a little bit of it's a little bit of referential movie humor for you, uh, <laughs> for you out there. For all you cool cats and kittens, as they're saying on the interwebs these days. Oh uh, today we are going to be, or tonight technically, we're going to be talking about prisoners, as we talked about at the end of the last episode. So hopefully you were able to watch along uh, throughout the week and come in ready to hear our thoughts and. Uh, Give us back yours as we always offer up. Uh, if you have it, then good spoiler warning right here. We are going to be talking about everything to do with the movie. Uh, if you're okay with that without watching it, then great. Stay around and listen. If you're wanting to watch it to have a frame of reference, go do that and come back and bam, it'll be like nothing ever happened. That's the magic of technology. Mm-hmm. But to get into this show the right way, then that's going to be what I think I already know the answer to, but Josh is the one mystery figure here. Uh, uh, so I'll start with Josh. What did mm. you think about the movie as a whole? I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I, I had a lot of fun watching it. Uh, the cast was all super great. I think the the way it handled the suspense and the twists that were there were, was all it was, was all really well done. So, yeah, as much as I thought I had an idea going into this of what to expect, honestly, I was pleasantly surprised the whole way through, and it kept my attention and. Yeah, this was some good filmmaking, some good acting. I really liked the soundtrack. Uh, all of it. I enjoyed it. Mm. Man, I'm, I'm glad that that's how you feel coming into it. You know, when I chose this movie, honestly, when we first started doing this podcast, like I, I mentioned, I always had this movie in mind of like, I'm going to wait a couple of episodes, mm. but I'm going to get us talking about this movie. Yeah. And uh, mainly as a big excuse to get to rewatch it myself. But <laughs> hell yeah. yeah. 
Uh, all right. Well, next up, then we're going to keep the order that we had, and we're going to go with Mr. Figs. What did you think about the movie? And if I'm not mistaken, much like me, this was your not your first time seeing it. It was not my first time seeing it, and I actually was going to pick it. So it's actually mm-hmm. funny that you picked it before I did. Um, I love You're this welcome. movie, and I'm going to say I'm going to disagree with Brett's little intro. Stop listening to this podcast if you haven't watched the movie. Don't listen actually, to this podcast if you haven't seen it. Go watch the movie. I, I second that. <laughs> that I, I really I really second that. But we'll get into my feelings on that in a minute. All right. Well, that leads us into Mr. Blake. What you got? Yeah, I very much enjoyed this movie, too. It was um, one that I've had kind of on my back burner for a while. But I've been really wanting to see it. So this was the perfect excuse. Yeah, I, I know earlier today, because, of course, uh, I watched it tonight right before doing this, as well as I know Blake did. We were playing Fallout 76, and he was like, is it post-apocalyptic? And one of the things about the movie I love <laughs> is it exists in that thing of if you don't look really too much into it, you just see a couple of screenshots, and uh, and you kind of just look at the way that everything's presented to you, you're really unsure what the movie's about until suddenly you're watching it, and you're like, well, that's not what I expected at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but you know of course watching a trailer i distinctly remember one screenshot where it's towards the end of the movie so you know i'm not going to spoil it too much in the beginning though we did say spoiler warning but it's when jake gyllenhaal's character is at the the house and they're the people are digging the hole and just in quick Mm -hmm. glancing because i don't try and look at screenshots of movies i haven't seen but in quick glancing it just looked the colors and the buildings and the hole in the ground i don't know i just thought it was post-apocalyptic at first I think that's fair. I mean, like I mentioned, a lot of the films color grading that they choose to use, the Mm -hmm. the lighting that they choose to use, a lot of that sets a a tone that I think is not too far away from what a lot of people think of when they look at a serious post-apocalyptic movie, uh, or at least something that exists a little bit more in... I mean, it's, te- it's still post-apocalypse, but it's almost more of something akin to like uh, uh, pandemic movies and like zombie movies where something's happened and you're not too far removed from normal civilization. Right. It's like you could still see the remnants of it, but it, you're still existing within it. So yeah, I could understand that completely. Uh, well, I guess it comes down to me and I already thought this, but watching it again just really helps cement that because when you go into a movie for a second time, definitely one that I surprisingly remembered every aspect of way better than I thought. I think it speaks a lot to the movie's quality. Uh, I think that this is the first time that we have watched a 100% perfect movie. Damn. Um, but that's just I'll get into it in a little bit as to why I feel that way because there's so much about this movie that I think is just it shows meticulous craft mm. uh, and we've had this like some of these same things uh, kind of hinted at in other films that we've done but I, I really think this movie was a strong show of it and it's more impressive that I feel that way about a movie that had a two and a half hour runtime, and I feel like and I know Chris has at least one little bit of time period that he disagrees with. I feel like the movie never stumbles. I just want to say one thing real quick. You think this is the first perfect movie? You do realize that we have watched the Belko experiment, right? Shut the <laughs> fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it had Dr. Cox in it. What more do you want? I want a good movie and good characters and a good story and fun and interesting. Right. And not fucking the Belko experiment. What about good CGI? Do you want that? 
<laughs> no, I'm actually okay with bad CGI. <laughs> the Belko experiment has the best CGI I've ever seen, actually. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Big props to the, the film crew for that. They must have gotten a ton of budget for that one scene. They CGI'd a bad movie over a bad script. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> no, that was uh, the 2019 Lion King remake. Oh, I was going to say that was well, Green Lantern, but that's low-hanging fruit. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I guess from there, this is a movie that I think despite all the different things that it touches on, I think this movie is steeped in themes. I mean, of course, every move has layers of themes, but I feel like this movie wears that on its on its sleeve. It has a lot of symbology in it, mm-hmm. uh, a, a lot of themes that come that it references back to, uh, a lot of things like that. So I want to open this up the way that we normally do, which is starting with what did you guys think specifically about the, the the movie from a thematic standpoint? What are any themes that stood out to you or things that you don't know for sure if they were they're touching on, but you have uh, ideas or just anything you notice that may lend into that. And I'm going to shake things up and start with Mr. Blake since uh, it was a first watch for you. Man. <laughs> Another Ricky Bobby reference. Solid. What is going on? <laughs> Um, yeah, I think the biggest thing that I realized theme wise would definitely be like family and um how important mm. it is to some people or should be to everybody, mm. but specifically some more than others, I guess. It's pretty much it. Is family's like the biggest thing that stood out to me. You know, obviously just from a thematic element. There's obviously a lot more going on than just like family dynamics, but mm. Well yeah, I think that that's definitely true. Uh and I think family is a good one. Does anybody have anything to add that uh before I kind of talk about that i'm almost curious because you made a comment of like not everyone or as much as they show something around those lines so like what did you mean by that well i didn't mean that like some people in it didn't care about their family i just meant that like one person like kidnapped someone and was torturing him and the other was kind of just pushed into doing that would rather sit on the sidelines and i'm not implying that he cared less for his daughter obviously he very much cared for his daughter i just meant that some people take it to different levels that's all i probably just worded it really wrong no i was just curious well i thought you were going to go in a different direction with i thought you were going to talk about who ends up being the killers and i was going to say it almost seems like to them family is more important i think to the villains of the movie uh family is more important to them than even the parents in that movie which is a really weird take but i I don't i don't don't know that that i disagree but I want I don't know that I do agree or disagree but what I'd really like is and we'll get to you in just a minute Josh but that's a really interesting statement to take Chris so I would love for you to kind of explain how you how you reach that conclusion uh, because it might even make me view the movie in a different way which is the most exciting part of doing this podcast honestly well I guess like maybe I'm wording it weird but my whole thing is that they value family so much that it's the tenant of the evil that they're committing mm-hmm. you know because they know the value of family they know what it's going to do to lose someone so mm. it's it's a different it's a different value but i think their entire worldview is based on how important family is whereas obviously you can't compare murderers to fathers but i'm just saying i think the worldview these people take <laughs> and the way their entire what no i'm just you yeah. said you can't compare murderers to fathers and i just imagine like a big whiteboard with like pros and cons list of both <laughs> <laughs> michael uh, scott with a legal pad. Uh, 
So I definitely get what you're meaning. And and that's why I said I didn't know if I agree with you. I wanted to see where your reasoning was coming from behind because right. I, once you said it, it struck me the same way of, I kind of get what you mean. Is like in the most twisted and perverse way, they operate under, are all of their actions and operations are under the ideology that people find family the most important. So it's like it's exactly, a, it's a twisted, perverse version of that. But their primary tenet is almost like what we're doing. We know is going to have an impact on these people because of what family means. Um, and I think it's also a little weird. I think where I disagree, and it may just it. Sorry, that was real southern. It may just be that I disagree with the wording. I don't think that the killer hmm. at all cared about family. I think that, um, I mean, they were kidnapping people from their family. I think they saw the importance of family, but I don't think they held that importance to heart. Does that make sense? Well, th- that's what he means. Yeah, I mean, that's kind okay. of what he's talking about. Okay, I got. You. I'm going to make like a, a very big nitpick, but I didn't say cares. I said values. And that I think changes yeah. the, in a little bit. No, I think that that's you know? true because they do without without valuing or at least understanding the value. I should we should at least say that they're putting the same value on family that the other families are, but they're doing it in a twisted way. Yeah, because the other families are putting the value on as we would be willing to do anything to get them back. Uh, or at least one of them for sure. And I do want to brush on that scene after we give Josh a chance to kind of talk on the family aspect. Uh, But of course, on this side, you have the people going, well, we understand the value of family because we, we know by doing this, it's going to, it's out of most people, it's going to cause this kind of reaction. Uh, And and she says Mm -hmm. that even in the end of the movie with one of her last lines of like, you know, we're in a war against God. uh, And, and we, know that by doing this we're going to shake people's faith and turn them into demons like you uh and i think that there's a strong argument weirdly enough in the movie that if for as bad as she truly is it's one of the greatest things about the movie and we'll touch on that theme in a minute but it's it's what are you willing to do like how low will you sink yourself Right. To further your goal, no matter what the goal is, you could talk about the goal and the the merit of that, but it's how far are you willing to sink yourself in. So, Josh, good time for you to jump in. What's your take on the family aspect of the movie, the family themes? Yeah, obviously there was a lot that spoke to that in this movie. Uh, one thing that I think really hit me was just seeing how Holly Jones was kind of like. I, I don't know. She had like a protective element to Alex, even though you know, we didn't necessarily detect that that was like a compassionate, empathetic sort of relationship she had with him. It was more of like a, I don't know. It, it was really, it was really interesting. There was a lot to it. Cause it wasn't just, Oh, she's using him. Cause it's like, well, what does he really accomplish most of the rest of the time that he's around, you know? So she has to care for mm-hmm. him on some level, even though it's kind of in a psychopathic way. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I don't know. It, you guys have touched on most of the family-related stuff I really picked up on, but it was definitely just, like, you know, interesting... Um, I'm sorry, like, introducing how, like, the Birch and the Dover families are, like, they're kind of one conjoined family and how their lives are together. So it was really interesting seeing the kind of different reactions to this, but how they were, like, a family unit in some ways when they were, like, responding to, like, this terrible thing that's happening and... Uh, it, there was obviously like differences in how to handle it, uh, you know, as far as like Keller's basically being willing to throw himself into the pit for uh, the benefit of his daughter, um, and uh, fuck Terrence Howard's character just kind of being Franklin, like, yeah, yeah, him kind of being just like, you know, 
I don't, it was interesting seeing both him and, uh, and Nancy Birch's, uh, reactions to the shit that, uh, Keller was doing as far as like their initial disgust and them seeming to seeming to get over that very quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. and then kind of exposing their own, what this meant to them. And it, it was really interesting to me how quickly they seemed to forego the formalities and like the, what a good person is supposed to do type things. But yeah, I don't know. Well, that's a good one, Josh. So by by mentioning that, I think you kind of uh, segue us into our next point. But one thing I want to kind of cap the family thing off is, and I was already going to say this, and I'm glad you brought it up, um, is uh, touching on the Alex um, and you just said her name. Nancy. I can't think of it right now. Um, Nancy. Uh, that yeah, that relationship is very odd because oh, uh, Holly. Uh, uh, Holly, sorry, that's what it is. Holly, thank. Chris, you st- you you led me astray. <laughs> yeah, Nancy's Terrence uh, Howard's wife. I thought you were talking about yes, uh, Nancy's Terrence Howard's wife. Yeah, yeah, that's what I thought you were talking um, about. I just heard it and I was like, <laughs> he probably knows who's talking about. Let's roll with it. Uh, <laughs> but yes, Holly uh, Holly Jones, as her name actually is. Um, her relationship with Alex is really interesting uh, because you know, with all these other kids, you can see that she's all but okay with killing them. Mm-hmm or at least psychologically damaging them very badly. And maybe they get away, maybe they don't, but it seems like more often than not, definitely with the ending scene of all the bodies they find in the dirt, that her end goal is to kill them. Uh, Now, I find it really interesting that the first one that she did, so she at least put some kind of a value on family, that the first kid they ever take, she chose to take in as her own. Yeah, And it goes to show that even though she is twisted and perverse in all of her viewings of family, it sounds as if, and the way the movie kind of uh, poses it, is that the reason that the first one happened as a way was not only as a way to kind of uh, rebel against God uh, and their lack of faith as she describes from when they lose their son to cancer, Mm -hmm. but it's also like she's trying to fill a hole that was left behind by the lack of her son. So now she has this new one in Alex. Yeah. Uh, And every kid afterwards just kind of becomes collateral damage, but Alex at least got a different end of the stick than the other ones did. Um, Yeah, that's a great point. Which is, you know, really interesting. So much to Blake's point, yeah, they do view family differently. And I think in the weirdest way, she does view the importance of family. Clearly she uh, misses her husband and, even though it kind of sounds like it was like, well, she knows that at least to the job that they were doing, her husband was a hindrance, but doesn't mean she didn't care for him. And she, you know, she had Alex and she cared for him much. Like she said, you can say it was because he was using her or she was using him rather. But ultimately, like Josh mentioned, she's doing much more caregiving than she is getting anything out of that relationship. Uh, so I do think that that touch to touches on some very basic maternal instincts within her that she still can't help but get over despite the rest of the evil that she's really committing um so the the next theme that i think is really cool to touch on and uh and i'm glad josh go ahead went ahead and mentioned it and it goes right back into the scene that josh uh that uh, blake and chris were talking about um is essentially moral flexibility mm-hmm. and how quickly humans are able and this is actually something that ties into like the uh, the dark knight you know joker's big st- speech about the formalities of life that are all thrown aside at the first hints of a problem mm-hmm. um but the way i kind of worded it is 
it's how flexible our moral code can become when disaster sets in and how easily others can be pulled to join that cause. And that goes right into what all of you were talking about. You know, the scene where it comes in and we see, you know, Keller being the person who's going to be the catalyst of, I'm going to get Alex. I'm going to, I know that I'm right and I'm going to get what I can out of him. And you know, he's aware of the way that Franklin will react if he just tells him. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a lot to me that's said by the fact that he can't just tell him. He has to show him right. because by showing him, he can really tap into the emotional aspect and be like, hey, <clears throat> I do whatever it takes to get my daughter. You know, mm-hmm. we're going on two days. We can't or, you know, three days, whatever. We can't lose this time. I'm going to do what it takes. And I know he knows. Uh, and it's funny because like Josh says, it's like he Franklin comes in so opposed to it. And mm-hmm. all it takes is Keller moving forward for him to kind of just sit there outside of the door and say, hey, come on. And suddenly that moral code is just gone. And he's like, well, here we are. We're gonna, yeah. I'm going to do what it takes, even if it was because of someone else kind of starting it. And mm-hmm. then you have the same thing with his wife, Nancy. When she comes, her first interaction with Alex is very similar in the sense of she's approaching it from a caring standpoint. And that ends up biting her as, you know, and, and so the rest of the movie, we see that fall off as well. And, and she becomes the one of, no, don't, don't let him out. Don't free him. Uh, it, it, it's, how these disasters can harden people from what they think is their moral code. So that's a really interesting theme. Does, uh, what do you have to think about that? Uh, since Blake, since you actually kind of touched on that and how, how it relates to family, you know, you kind of mentioned that Franklin Terrence Howard's character, uh, existed in that other realm of like, well, it's not that he was the one that was starting the process of doing anything, but at least eventually he willfully gave in. So yeah, what do you say about that. I don't think it's a thankfully he gave in. I like I said. I think earlier I said that you know Hugh Jackman's character Keller. Did I say thankfully? Yeah, I think so. Or did I mishear you? I meant I, I meant eventually. I, I don't know what I may have misspoken. I, I may have misheard you. Sure. Either way, <laughs> sorry. But um, you know Keller obviously cares very much for his daughter. He so much so that he would kidnap and torture someone who he honestly has no idea whether they're guilty or not. You know. Um, mm-hmm. He's obviously the kid. Obviously, has some real mental issues. So he kidnaps someone who could just be saying something that he doesn't understand. Obviously, he was right mm-hmm. in the long run. But mm-hmm. I think honestly, Keller is a really like shitty friend to bring. Um, what's his name? Let me see real quick. Franklin. Franklin. Yeah, Franklin to bring Franklin into the house or the apartment building to help torture. I think that that's something that um, without knowing how someone's going to react or if they're going to be okay with it is bad you know franklin's daughter you know survived obviously but that's still something he's gonna have to live with his whole life because yeah. come mm-hmm. to find out the person they tortured was also a kidnapping victim you know so mm-hmm. yeah. i mean just brutally yep. tortured this kid so and whether he was guilty or not he didn't have the mental capabilities to know whether he was what he was doing necessarily you know possibly you know so, well, yeah. and I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the things that I think gives him a lot of character depth outside of his very basic level, you know, they, the movie does a lot to set him up as someone who's obviously got basic, but you notice that his ability to essentially say what he wants to say changes, depends who's it. It's almost like it's partially an act, but partially true. It's like, yeah, he is clearly limited in his intelligence and his IQ, but at the same time, he has moments where, at least through the lens of what we're seeing, which is realistically the majority of the movie, almost through the lens of Keller, yeah, um, 
and, and when you're looking at it that way, you don't know if he's necessarily like you know. You could view it at first watching as, did he really hear the kid say that, or is this an unreliable narration? Like, did he hear what he wanted to hear? But if you look at it at least the way the movie presents it to you, and just look at it that way. Alex clearly knew what he said when he told Keller they didn't cry until I left them. Right. And yeah, exactly. So and like he choked he's, the dog, he, too. He's somewhat knowing. And exactly. That was so what I was going to bring up. He choked the dog. He shows he definitely has negative qualities, but the movie does a lot to redeem him in that they're not all his fault. You know, they're, yeah. they're yeah. the result of his upbringing. So, For sure. Uh, all right. Well, that's good. Uh, Chris, you got anything to add to that, man? Well, I think honestly on that I when I we were talking about themes um originally my, the big one I noticed was how Keller while trying to be a good father turns out to be just a truly mm. awful father and I think that kind of goes into the same thing where like he ends up neglecting ostensibly the people that are alive to try and search for his daughter and then he ends up going down this super dark path where a lot of me thinks he's justified mm. And a lot of me is like, no, yeah. you know, because that, especially that scene with the, with the, him, uh, Alex whispering to him, me and my, I watched it with my parents and we rewinded it like four times trying to make sure he said that, um, because originally it just kind of sounds like garbled nonsense, which I'd imagine like in a theater setting mm-hmm. where you can't rewind, it makes you question Keller. Whereas for us, we're like, no, that dude said that shit. So like, I'm watching that whole movie. Like, okay, he's mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Whereas, so it didn't leave us with any suspense where I almost wish he'd mumbled mm. a little bit so that I couldn't go back and make that out. Yeah, know, so sure. That the, in one of those ways where, like, if I had subtitles on, it would have said indescribable audio mm-hmm. or whatever it is, just to kind of put me a little bit more on this, like, can I justify Keller's actions? Because knowing that he said they cry which when I left, I was like, yeah, he took your kids, dude. Like, I wouldn't do this. <laughs> But I'm not gonna. I wouldn't right. send you. Fair, to jail. <laughs> but I like how the movie presents it under the aspect of that it could have been Keller hearing what he wants to hear, and mm. I really like that. Not only did I already have that inclination as the viewer, uh, because you can see mm. in Keller's actions that he's being irrational, mm-hmm. uh, and with each passing day, it's not like he's losing his mind, but at the same time, it's like something's happening. So him hearing what he wants to hear to give himself. Um, self-reassurance on what he already feels is not the craziest thing um so yeah i mean i guess that's one of those things of where because you have the control that you are technically ruining your own experience so and you're creating and i'm not saying it's a bad thing but it's like you technically created a complaint for yourself because if you never would have rewinded you still would have watched the whole movie under the aspect of maybe he didn't fucking say that you know Mm mm-hmm yeah, I guess, but I also kind of would have believed him just because I was more inclined to Sure, and I was too, him. but I mean, you still have that little shadow of doubt, right? Well, go ahead now, uh, Josh. To that point, I, I think it's also really interesting that because we do have the certainty of that those words were said and that he heard that, I think, kind of to your point, it, it it's like a... It's a slightly different, but I think equally interesting moral dilemma of like, okay, so for all we know, he might actually be justified, but we're still horrified at the way he's going about this. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think the movie does a lot to pull that in. As you see the actions just escalate and escalate. And it's it's funny that, you know, how cold Keller is and what he says, like, you know, can't hurt him anymore without killing him. 
So we have yeah. to resort to a completely different form of torture. Uh, and there's some stuff in there I want to get in later that is kind of a cool, some tie-ins to the movie. And I want to talk about that at length. But mm-hmm. at least staying on this, um, and Josh, you may have something to this, but before we get too far away from it, I want to go ahead and mention it. Uh, Chris brought up that he viewed, and I don't think it's completely wrong viewpoint, but it's you said he was a shitty father. Like, you know, through all this, he becomes a shitty father. Yeah. Or at least he... Now, I guess what I want to make sure is clarifying, uh, do you think, are you saying like the way he handles this in relation makes him a shitty father in return to, in response to these events? Or do you, does the music, does the movie make you view it through the lens that he's always been a shitty father and we're just seeing the lens that would open your eyes to it? That's a curiosity thing on my end. Um, I'm going to you know kind of couch a little bit but i just don't think there's enough evidence for really a takeaway there it was more of a curiosity because that goes back to the if you saw something in the movie that i didn't i'd love to hear it because i agree with you Mm -hmm. i don't think that there's enough evidence either way uh go ahead as i think you could make an argument for both right you could make an argument with the hunting scene that you know he's a good father he's doing stuff with his kid but then you could take a couple scenes later when his kid's asking for, I think, 400 bucks, and he kind of snaps at him, and he's like, you know we can't mm-hmm. afford that shit. He obviously didn't say it that way, but, you know, the, and you don't, I, I just kind of feel like I've always felt that you don't kind of talk to your kids about hmm. money. Um, I, I disagree know. I with that. that. One's an interesting I kind of disagree I, with I disagree as well. Sorry. I would Go never. So. <laughs> I mean, that's just personal. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and everyone has a different viewpoint of why they were raised and why they feel the way they do. And I'd love uh, to hear, actually, before we go to you, Blake, if you can hold that thought for just a second. Uh, that's, a, that's a curiosity. If you'd be willing to speak on it, why do you feel that you shouldn't speak to Because well, it's going to frame the way that you view Keller as a character potentially different well, than us. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, one, thing to, it's one thing to talk about money. But I think it's another thing, and like I don't mean to insult anyone if you do this, but I think it's a little, I don't know what the right word is. I think it's shitty to let your kids in on struggles that aren't obvious, especially when they're not hmm. old enough to understand. I mean, I mean that I mean, kid he is what, like 15, but 14? But like, he didn't understand. That's, yeah. Yeah, but he... But that's not the point. When I was fifteen, when I was eighteen, I was asking my mom for for. Well, half no, I'm not saying that stuff. the kids shouldn't when ask for money. Were... I'm saying that the dad oh, saying okay. we can't afford that isn't him being like he's not taking taking the kid to the bank to look at the like his checkbook and shit. You know what I mean? Your parents never once said oh, I can't really afford it right now. There's a difference between I can't afford it and we're going to lose the house because I can barely pay I the bills. I think that that's a, that's a take is, on how you view what he said. I think what he essentially was saying was like, it's not, hey, we're going to lose the house if, if I add this on. It's, hey, listen, that there, there are priorities. Right now, you don't absolutely need that and you have to understand where we are. You know, the, the, I think it's, I, I think I'm, without knowing for sure, I think I'm much more in the case with, with Blake where it's, it's just an honesty that I actually, as a as a parent, am going to aim for as well. I think once your kid gets definitely his age, and the movie does a lot to set up that he clearly is, he clearly believes that his son is, or he's at least working on getting him, his son to a mature standpoint where he can understand these types of things. I don't feel like that statement was out of line at all, and I, I guess I kind of I view mean, it as like, yeah. he's just being <clears throat> honest about the situation at hand. Hey, here's here it is, and then of course there's a little bit of a hint in the movie that. Uh, 
when he brings up, well, why don't you, uh, why don't you rent out or sell the place uh, for, that granddad left you? And he's like, he kind of gives this like pause to not overreact of like, we've talked about this a million times, but mm -hmm. it's an old building. It's going to cost more than we have to get it up and running to become a source of income. Yeah. And we just can't do it right now. And I, to me, I think it just spoke a lot on, uh, I, 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 it spoke a lot about who Keller is from a, the beginning of the movie does a lot of this from a, yeah. he's a preparation standpoint. He's not one who likes to get into situations yeah. where he's not in control over the situation. And that's, the, that's one of the irony parts of the movie is like he's not in control of the situation of his daughter being gone. Right, I don't think that he's a bad person mm -hmm. for saying that. I don't know if that's being misconstrued. Oh, I don't I mean, think you I said you hate Keller. So. <laughs> <laughs> and his it whole was just family interesting should die. that you felt that way <laughs> is essentially the thing is that not that you thought he was shitty or anything. It's just it was interesting to me that you had that take about that scene because to me that scene was just more of building him up as at least at what I think the beginning of the movie does a lot to build him up as maybe a slightly, uh, I'm trying to think of the word to use, a slightly short tempered. Oh yeah. Short tempered and over, but it all ties into like his over prepared nature. Right. But he still has aspects that make you be like, Oh, well he, it's not that he's just always views the world that way. He's having fun at this Thanksgiving party. He's, you know, well that, that was what my bigger issue was with the scene was the, the snap mm -hmm. reaction. Uh, you know, not the so what he the said. fact that he wasn't like, well, argument. let's let's you know, let's think on that information and, and we'll talk about it. Yeah, because to me, I, I don't know, whatever. I just think that you would, I would handle sure, that. Fair enough. That's, and that's the challenge. If, of if being we're a sitting here, yeah, and if we're sitting here talking about the potential, because we were uh, the whole thing we were talking about was like what could possibly make him a bad father mm -hmm. before that, and I think that's really the only scene where you could see. A I don't. Hint of I just don't agree father. at all with that. I don't so, know. I, I say stuff like that to like my eight year old when she asks for things. I'm like, "Hey, rent's due today. Can't afford it, honey. Sorry. Ask in a couple weeks. You know." Hmm. I've got a okay. comment to that. Yeah, go ahead. So a thing that I noticed when they were in the truck on the way back from the hunt. Uh, I, I felt like I was seeing Keller come back from his own headspace and realize that he has to talk to his kid like differently than he would talk to people. Like just you talk to kids differently than you talk to adults and not just in like, not in like a talking down to them kind of way, but like a uh, Keller is so wrapped up in the shit that he's worried about. And you see that in, you know, you see that on his face, you see that in the basement, you see that in so many different elements of his life. He carries this sort of downtrodden sort of like, he he just worries about shit, honestly, to a point that's counterproductive. And you see that kind of influence, like the way he acts, is he just like it's like a negative just viewpoint of a lot of things. And I was really seeing that um, in the truck on the way back when they were talking, and he was like, you know, he had to remind himself to congratulate the kid on that being a good shot. Like he was talking mm -hmm. about like heavy and serious shit, and he was like, you know what, shit, my kid just wants some reaffirmation, so I should give that to him. And I, I feel like we yeah. saw. Uh, fewer of those moments where he would pull himself back and go back into trying to be supportive dad mode because he was just so wrapped up in this whole situation that he couldn't even fathom doing that. Um, but yeah, that was I, one that I think gave me insight into his character in like, here's like an unforced situation. Here's like something that should be totally pleasant and stress-free. And he's still in a negative headspace because that's kind of just who he is, at least in this point in time. Yeah, and it seems like it's something that came down from his father before him too. So almost like a, 
almost like the thing of like, you know, where you always are going to have some of the negative aspects of your parents, but you always try and view them enough to know when to back off of them. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm, I'm the, am the way I am partially because of my upbringing, but at the same time, I can at least control it a little bit more to try and not have as much of an impact. But clearly he sees a value. I, I like that you brought that up because it's like he is constantly in that headspace of being the preemptive warrior Mm-hmm. And how that reflects in his character is really interesting because it's like every bit of his personality roots back into that. It's you know he he has an emergency whistle he got for his daughter. He has yeah. the uh, the explanation of preparation to his son that you were talking about. Like hey you know these are things that you need to know how to do. He mm-hmm. has the stockpile of supplies in the basement. Even the shot that lingered in on the gas mask where it's almost like he's prepared for any type of emergency that comes around. You know, mm-hmm. uh, and it, yeah, it, it's interesting because. You see that moment reflected, and this is like one of the things about him becoming. In a way, I understand how, and like you mentioned, Chris, it's like there are justifiable things that you can find within the movie to justify his actions of like kind of stepping away. And his his son doesn't fully understand everything that's going on. So you see his son lash out and saying, Hey, you know, you're just being a bad dad, which arguably he is, Hmm. but he's not being a bad dad for the reason that the son thinks. The son thinks he's just running off and drinking. He's actually running off and doing something totally different, and the drinking is almost <laughs> like a additive to the story that's going on. Of I've got to bullshit this officer the best I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but the scene that I think really puts a lot in the context of why he pushes so far is how we see the mother just lose it. I mean, yeah. she loses it, and there was a there, there's such a memorable quote to, that that wraps into all this that she says to him. And it speaks so much to what the movie's built up prior, which is, uh, I felt so safe. You told us you could keep us safe from anything. Yeah. And you can see in his face when she says that, like the defeat that comes uh, over him and the lack of control that he has in that moment. And that that's fucking oh, hurt. That was such an that was such an awful right? thing to say. And oh my god, my dad, my dad was sitting next to my dad. And he just goes, "Oh, that was awful." <laughs> and that scene in that one <laughs> sentence is almost like the catalyst of what pushes him over the edge to, I'm going to go get Alex. I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I am not going to be the husband that failed my family. I'm going to be the husband that in the long run gets us all back together. And to his credit, he is the reason for everything. He's the reason that his daughter was found. He's the reason that uh, Holly ended up being spooked when the other car came. She thought that, okay, this is the aftermath, so I'm going to go ahead and do what I can. I know this is probably the end. If he wouldn't have gone there prior and known all these things, if he wouldn't have been who he was, his daughter honestly might not have made it. It's a really crazy take on it, but, you know, that's going into all of these. Is it's the, it's so, so far, it's blending these two themes we've talked about very much it's it's blending this family aspect and the how far are you willing to go and the aspect of in the long run he was right you know maybe all of his actions are very very questionable yeah but well actually i i want to go back to something we yeah, talked about quick just because it kind of goes into this where i think the conversation at the beginning of the movie is super interesting because it kind of tells you exactly what he's going to do mm. in the movie you know, where he's talking about how people get desperate and mm-hmm. they start fighting each other when he, when, you know, stuff goes bad. And that's sure. exactly what he does. He gets desperate. He takes the kid and it ends up kill. It could have ended mm-hmm. up killing him. So, yeah. 
I just think that that beginning conversation kind of puts a lot yeah. into context, and it's almost a spoiler in the beginning <laughs> yeah. of the movie. <laughs> well, it's it, it's foreshadowing, right? And some of the best foreshadowing yeah, is, well, yeah. and really, what foreshadowing is supposed to be. Sometimes it's too on the nose. Is the idea that you're going to give me tidbits of information about what's going to happen without me realizing it until it happens, and you can look back on the moment, uh, yeah. and that's great. Did you have something to add into that, Josh? Um, no, I was just agreeing. Okay, yeah, uh, Blake. Before I move on, you got anything you want to add to that? Yeah, I got two things. One real quick. Um, me and Chris have both said they called um, the guy the killer kidnapped a kid. And I do want to clarify, mm-hmm. he was kidnapped 26 years prior and he was already like seven. So this dude's like 33. Yeah. <laughs> so just to clarify, when but we say goes- he kidnapped the kid, we do mean mm-hmm. the adult, the killer a kid at heart. Yeah. <laughs> the grown ass man. <laughs> but um, hey, hey, while we're on that, before you continue, yeah. I think that that this is this is to the movie's casting credit which is something that uh, uh josh mentioned in his beginning statement uh paul dano mm. kills that role he, he, oh yeah he is so good it's so believable it's it's crazy i mean really so and i'm with you it, part of the reason you can find yourself slipping up and saying kid is because he personifies a 30 year old who has the mind of a 10 year old i mean yeah he he looks like he's almost innocence incarnate and you you feel equally bad for him but also like he doesn't deserve it but he's clearly at least involved and he could fix the situation by just going ahead and saying what it is because he doesn't know Mm, right but it's so it 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 rests in a really weird thing where it almost makes you uncomfortable having that secondary thought because it's like but he's a 10 year old in, yeah. in in all but body right so but go ahead what was your second point um yeah the last thing i want to say about the dad and we can like move on from this i um i kind of disagree with i think most i think i think brett and chris both have agreed to this if i'm wrong don't uh correct me if i'm wrong or whatever but um i think don't the dad me. is a terrible uh terrible person but an excellent parent i think it's kind of the opposite of what y'all have said I think oh, no, that, I don't think he's a I don't think he's a bad parent at all. I think he's a I, I mean all I was saying is that Chris's statement on him being a bad parent in relation to leaving his wife and leaving the two living people that he knows are good and safe and leaving them in a vulnerable situation, like letting a guy break into the house to steal right. clothes and all that situation by over he it's almost like he overcorrected right to right. make up for the for to make up for the way that this happened he's oversteering into like i'm gonna figure this out and get this back but at the cost of the safety of my family and we see that with both families just to be clear even though franklin and them are handling the situation a lot differently and still ultimately going along with it they they suffer the same things the guy breaks into their house and could have easily i, I even remember the first time i watched the movie and again this time why would you leave like why would you leave the house both parents why would you leave the house right. with your teenage daughter at home yeah and i'm not but saying it goes to show you what people sorry. will do so but go ahead what was to the I, rest of your point yeah uh, i was just saying it, that know. i don't think keller made the best choices obviously i mean he the reason i say he's a shitty person is because he kidnapped someone and is torturing them but i think he's a great parent because to get his daughter he kidnapped someone and tortured them like i mean <laughs> how much farther yeah. can you go for your kids you know what i mean but mm-hmm. I do think that he obviously made mistakes. But I think anyone in that situation is prone to make some, like, unreasonable mistakes. You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. no one Not is acting the in their right mind during their child yeah, He's missing. losing tons of sleep. He is drinking, even if yeah. it's just to keep up a facade. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, 
and 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 weirdly, I think it's he starts drinking to have a facade, and then he actually does lean on the drinking. Right, and it's not completely explored in the movie, but it does at least feel like it. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think it was interesting because I, th- I I think he said something about basically like you gave me the excuse to crack the bottle, and now I'm going to go down and die mm, inside of it. Yeah, me. he says that to uh, to Loki. Yeah, and uh, whew. all right. Um, well. We're going to leave dad alone for a little bit because um, <laughs> <laughs> I honestly, I, I I like him and it's one of those weird things where he's one of those characters that you can see do terrible things, mm-hmm. but you can put yourself in his shoes and it's not that you know that you'd do it for sure, but you at least understand the doubt you have in your own mind of maybe I would do that. Right. I mean, like maybe, yeah, you know, that's, and that's kind of what makes his character really great because you know, a lot of the times, uh, or a lot of movies, you know, if you look at the majority of movies made, you have very flat characters. Mm-hmm. And I like that he's got a lot of interesting depth and a lot of things that you can kind of touch in on and be like, you know, I find myself, I, I find a referential point in a lot of these things that he's doing, uh, or at least a lot of the way he is as a person. Um, I'm yeah. sure we all know like the overprepared person and whatnot. So mm-hmm. y- you can kind of see these things and understand how these mindsets work out. Uh, but... One of the things uh, that we can go ahead and kind of move on to, um, if anybody else has any other themes they want to touch on, we totally can. Um, I guess depends on what you consider a theme. I mean, I guess you can look at irony in themes. I mean, we can break it down into a little bit more of a less universal things and just more interesting things that I noticed. Mm-hmm. Um, there is... To me, and I don't know if anybody else would pick up on this, uh, it, I picked up on it only this time. I actually didn't think about it the first time I watched it. Uh, though, of course, I'm viewing the movie a little differently, um, coming in and wanting to do this podcast. Uh, did anybody see the kind of long-term irony of Keller building the shower and giving Alex the pitch black treatment where, hey, here goes pitch black and this is... You know, the, the water helps, of course, but the pitch black, of course, is the thing of driving you crazy. And in the long run, yeah. a pitch black closed off area is where Keller ends up. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because, I mean, it's kind of like it's weird that I'm going to go back to the town. <laughs> but, you know, the the letter that he writes at the end of the town when he's like, you know, uh, you've got to pay for your mistakes. Like, mm-hmm. no matter what, you've got to pay for your mistakes. And the, the interesting thing about the end of that movie is regardless of how what actually happens and we can kind of talk on the fact that the ending is uh a little vague but it's kind of one of those like a mix between dread and hope (laughs) yeah it's it's like what i call the ending because you don't see aka dope yeah (laughs) you don't see the rescue but it's hinted that there's no way it wouldn't be right right so it's interesting though that at the end of all this it's like Keller's paying for what he's done. He's paid for the monster he became in reaction to this in a way. Like even if he gets saved, it's not like he came out of this unscathed. Something has to happen. Yeah. You know, nothing comes at a complete freak charge. So I, I it's interesting that that's kind of how that ended up doing and I liked that the movie chose to do that. And I, I I would be willing to bet that was a very purposeful move of having him end up in a very tight black hole because we don't see it. The movie doesn't even talk about it until it comes time for Keller. So, mm. you know, seems fitting. Anybody else uh, have anything like that? Uh, 
mine is just like a it's basically an add-on to what we've been talking to but i think uh how how other people leave an impression on you and what you do with that going forward and we we've more or less talked about that but i i was especially struck by that with alex's character and just like when it really hit me that like he's for all intents and purposes a child and just seeing like how this thing that happened to him a long time ago when we finally get like the specifics of like oh Holly did this to him and this is why he's the way he is. And like he, for all we know, could have been like a, a, a normal happy child before this terrible thing happened to him. Um, it, it was just interesting to see like the, the impressions that get left on you and like how people live with that going forward. Um, but yeah, 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 that's a good thing to talk about. Cause I think that there, every character kind of gets the impression of another character, right? I mean, Franklin, the, the impression that Keller leaves on Franklin is part of what drives Franklin to be complicit in the actions against Alex. It's part mm-hmm. of what drives the wife, Nancy, to be complicit. Uh, you know, and then you even see that go through, you know, the, the, the impression that Keller leaves on Loki... I think is really important to the way that Loki handles the rest of the movie. I mean, you can see that he obviously wears... He wears the pain of what he does as a job on his sleeve, and you see that happen more and more. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, man... One thing we haven't talked about uh, that I think we'd be remiss to talk about is how great it is that Jake Gyllenhaal decided to have this eye twitch that just, yeah. lo- and I don't know if anybody, I, I, mean, I noticed it the first time I was watching the movie. I was like, did I not realize that Jake Gyllenhaal's got like physical Tourette's or something? And then you keep looking, it's like, oh no, this is a story device. Like this is something he's doing to this character to look and go, hey, you know, you can see as moments of frustration rise, you see him you know, have this twitch more and more and more. Yeah. And as the movie goes on, you see him kind of lose his cool more and more when at the beginning of the movie, he's kind of remaining calm, you know, it's like as Mm -hmm. things stretch out, which it doesn't hurt that he has this, uh, never lost a, you know, every case he's ever been on, he's solved, you know? Yeah. He's the (laughs) hyper competent detective. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind Uh, of funny. I feel like he left an impression on, you know, uh, the dad left an impression on him. So I do that. That's a good thing to point out. I mean, that's really what we've been talking about, but it's a good way to kind of nail exactly what it is we're talking about. Go ahead, Blake. I was just going to say, it's kind of funny that he um, has never like, or he has solved every case that he's worked on, but this one was like solved almost entirely by like coincidences and such. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. I I just thought it was kind of funny. (laughs) And yeah, why the hell did he leave all those cases open with the snakes in them? Shut them when you're done. (laughs) What's wrong with snakes out? Here's the thing: snakes get a bad. Two hundred snakes. They're They're cute though. They were probably venomous, but they're cute. (laughs) (laughs) Um, man. Mm, okay um <laughs> my wife was watching with me re-watching she was playing animal crossing as well but of course mm-hmm. that scene happened she's like why would you leave the cases open yeah i was yelling at my tv that's like the biggest issue i have with the movie oh <laughs> uh, i just okay I mean, um now go ahead josh i'm sorry i just i i like I know people like with pet snakes and I just like, I see so much footage of snakes being just derpy noodles. So it's just like, (laughs) well, yes, they can fuck you up if you like cross them. Like for the most part, I'm just like, this thing is comically dumb and I love that. It's just like wiggling around, figuring its life out. So for me, it's like, yeah, sure. Let it do its thing. To be fair, (laughs) that's a pet snake. And this is like 200 Mm. random fucking snakes. (laughs) There was 199 more of them. (laughs) It was an impressive number of snakes. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I was impressed and very upset at the guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
was like, uh, uh, yeah, that, that seems gross. The, the Joker's henchmen <laughs> really should have been nicer to those snakes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Can we okay, shout out how uh, he's the same character in every movie? Totally. It's just super, super weird. <laughs> Wasn't he already the most blatantly typecast? Hasn't he been in a movie that we've done already? Like as the same character? Well, oh, he was in Belko Experiment. Yeah, he was. He was the oh janitor guy. He was. Damn, I didn't <laughs> even realize that. Yep. Yeah, he was the guy who killed the. Uh, and he bug. is always the same weird. Doesn't yeah. really know how to talk. Like it's like he stumbles over his words, and he's kind of odd and dopey in a weird way. <laughs> he was a mannequin murderer in that movie too. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> very true. He killed Mary um, Poppins. <laughs> so, oh Lord! One of the things that we didn't talk on that I'm actually glad I thought about uh, again because it's it's permeates throughout the whole movie, um, it, and it starts with it. So it's really interesting that we didn't bring it up. Um, there's a there's a lot of religious, you know, overtones, undertones. There's a lot of just in general. There's just religious mentions, and I mean, you know, the movie starts with the Lord's Prayer, and. I thought that you know, the, and it shows a lot. I mean, it constantly goes to show, and I think it's a it's a lot to build up these people and kind of see that how far you're pushing them. This is a good Christian man, as as far as that we can tell, with everything going on, and so is Franklin, and we see them it's an oxymoron further. And further. <laughs> you're an Damn. oxymoron. Um, anyway, uh, what's up, atheism so, subreddit? Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, so with that uh you know there's a lot of stuff that talks about like you know the movie starts with the the lord's prayer uh the movie then goes to the truck parked after they get home from the drive mm-hmm. and the camera pulls in through the truck and you see as they're coming out uh you see the cross hanging from the thing the movie goes out of its way to show you the cross that hugh jackman keller wears around his neck uh you, you see this thing a lot there's a lot of religious talk of course you see hugh jackman's character praying plenty of times throughout what he's doing to Alex as a, a way to seek repentance. Uh, you hear it whenever he gets into the truck, when he's trying to make the decision of what to do with Alex after his wife gave him that low blow of a hit. Mm-hmm. And it's saying like, you know, what we, what we do in these times of trial is, is that, you know, what we kind of do, you have to it, either have to do action or seek penance, something to that degree is the, there was a lot of religious push to some of the things he was doing, at least, uh, maybe as a way like the religion was a backing way for him to self-justify his actions and knowing that hey the monster i'm becoming for the for the sake of my child is something that can be forgiven of me and i kind of like that undertone in it Mm. you know i'm not a religious person myself i don't think any of us are actually um I, I mean, I'll go ahead and say I, I'm atheist, and it sounds like I know Blake more or less is, and Josh. No, I'm a devout uh, Catholic. Mm. Okay, so you were all in the father's <laughs> corner. He was a good man, I damn it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but um, no, the, um, real quick, but, the religious themes throughout, yeah, I didn't really understand what the point of them was. They didn't really come to any sort of head, I don't think, unless I just totally missed it. Like, I'm not... I. I think you're right about like what you mentioned and how it kind of talked about him being a good Christian man and then seeing what this horrible event turned him into, I guess. But to mm-hmm. me, like I didn't. Mm-hmm. They taught, they pointed out it so much and him praying and so much of it was based around Christianity. I just didn't really understand what the point of it was, unless it's just like they're just Christians and it's just part of the movie. I'm not real sure, but maybe there was no point. Well, 
I kind of felt like I kind of felt like they were trying to set up a almost Jesus Christ versus the devil thing mm-hmm. in the movie. Forgot, but they kind of they kind of don't finish. <laughs> Three, four, three's like, yeah, what was exactly. that about Jesus again? Nah, never mind. Because <laughs> you, you see, I don't know damn. if I agree with that. Because uh, part of the reason I view this movie as uh, an almost a pretty much a perfect movie. Uh, and I think the closest we've gotten outside of this movie, and I may even say that it is one too, it's not one I've watched twice yet, is Parasite. Um, so I think Scarface. With that, Sorry to interrupt, but Scarface is up there. Scarface, Scarface was really good, uh, but not necessarily in this one thing. Though I do think it's still pretty good and has a long runtime at doing this. And for me, what it is um, is the idea that. The movie as a whole does a really great job of putting very little into the movie that isn't touched back on later and had a real reason to be there. One Mm. of my biggest complaints in a lot of movies and storytelling is when something is introduced for no reason than to just move the plot forward, but it never gets mentioned again. It's only something that happens as happenstance so that the rest of the movie can happen the way they want it to. It's a sign of bad writing. Mm. And a lot of the time it's a sign of, we know the goal of where we want to be, but we don't know enough about how to set it up. So we're just going to create a situation that most people will probably be okay with. And it won't really help the movie or hurt the movie. It'll just be in the movie. Um, I feel like so much in this movie is a setup i mean almost everything is touched back on in some way you have uh the granddad's building you know that's one of the first things that we've already talked about where they bring it up in the beginning of the movie right uh, and then that ends up being the place where they can kind of go off the grid where no one would know to expect them in a weird area to torture alex uh you have the car uh that ultimately ends up being the covering spot for the hiding you know for essentially the little keeping spot for hugh jackman's character and the girls at one point um the car is mentioned very early in the movie, and she's like, oh, it's for sale if you want it. It's not, it's almost like nothing is brought into the movie without a real intention of it being there. Uh, Alex is in there, but Alex is, and this is, of course, important to the story, but Alex is Barry, the kid. So the, the scene with the old woman when he goes to visit her, there's a reason for that. It comes back around. Right. You have everything. And what I, what I really loved about that, and the movie touches on it in a very just one-line thing, is it sets up the reason as to why the RV was where it was to begin with. It was Mm. Alex's 10-year-old brain remembering his childhood home, and he wasn't just going on a drive. He was going to a drive to a place that he's familiar with, that he reminisces about. And it explains why it's a vacant home as well. It's his mother left after the events of him going missing. So the movie does so much, and I mean, I could go on and on I mean, realistically yeah. i mean there the prayer the lord's prayer comes back when keller is debating over whether to let alex out or not after the other guy gets caught the maze necklace of course comes in a relation with all the stuff going on uh the snake man's drawings being tied back into the fact that he was one of the kids that was kidnapped you have the man under the house who was a, the abductor bam he's the one who had the necklace and was the husband i mean every single thing you have the whistle the damn whistle line hey where's mm-hmm. my red whistle Bam, comes back around. He finds it, and the whistle's going to be his saving grace. Yeah. Yeah. It was almost like this whole movie was an exercise, and I believe it was Hitchcock who said, like, never show a chainsaw if you're not going to use exactly. a chainsaw. Except they did it for every mm-hmm. line of dialogue, every speck exactly. of dust, yeah. every sneeze. Like, everything was there for a reason. There was no, like, 
Stephen King two pages <laughs> of someone suffocating filler. Yeah, like, <laughs> and see, that's why I love the movie so much. Is it felt like exactly like you said it's an exercise in making sure that you are not introducing something that has no real purpose, uh, and that makes a movie very engaging because it makes it feel like no no point of the movie doesn't matter later in the movie and it creates this kind of loop of being like if you're paying attention close to the movie of being rewarded of like ah that was that and Mm -hmm. this was that and it creates a much more engaging experience than something that you just watch which is kind of what i felt like no 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 dirt thrown on the town and bring it back up that's what i felt about the town like it's a fine movie and i enjoyed it but it didn't have that constant engagement that this movie and and parasite had Mm -hmm. and scarface to give uh to give blake's mention credit i think Thank all you. three of those movies do a lot to, to <laughs> mention to to set up things that mostly matter i think there's a little bit of fluff here and there in scarface though it's arguable you could potentially i've only watched the movie once you could potentially go through and say every scene has a dire purpose so um so a thing that i i'm hoping to maybe get some more thoughts on from you guys uh the connection between alex jones and bob taylor seemed like it was given a lot of emphasis, but I never really felt like it was paid off. Like, it, it always showed, like, yes, them coming from the same background, absolutely. But as far as what they were doing in present day that had anything to do with each other, I wasn't totally clear on. It It, it kept being shown as though this were a connection and maybe they were working together or they had even communication, but we never really saw that. And I was kind of okay, curious. so... If anybody else wants to talk on that, I think I have what is my answer, but I would love to hear someone else's. No, you go ahead. (laughs) Sorry, I thought Chris was going to (laughs) start. Yeah, you go ahead, Brett. I thought so, too. Uh, So to touch on that, and Mm. that's part of why I'm glad I've watched this movie twice. I kind of get to see that. Yeah. Uh, I felt the same way the first time I watched the movie, and then in going back and watching it, uh, the movie actually does explain that everything that was done was completely separate now of course it's set up to throw you on the track of maybe they are working together but Mm -hmm. by the time that that storyline wraps up and it's understood that the only reason he had articles of clothing was because he broke into the houses to steal the clothing uh and and it comes down and the the movie kind of talks about he's like an actor he he's doing the things that almost were done to him in some kind of crazy way as like the experience he had melted his mind in a very different way than it melted Alex's. They're mm-hmm. both deficient in ways from this trauma, but it happened in a very different way for them. Uh, so he, you know, he's going around the house drawing these mazes. And of course they're given books to say, you can escape if you finish all the mazes, but the last maze is unsolvable. Mm. You know, all that stuff goes on. So you see him, you know, it's, it's all a farce. He's not actually involved with any of it outside of the tangential connection as he had the same childhood experience, but managed to get away. Uh, he was a survivor instead of someone that died, but he carries that with him and almost mimicking it. He right. goes and buys kids clothes, but he puts pig's blood on it to pretend like he's killed them. He takes mannequins and beats their faces in and buries them. He has all this, uh, he has the book though, about the mazes that he's photocopied and gone through. Yeah. He has all the hallmarks of the actual killer that we're looking at and following, but he's just a victim and there is no actual connection to Alex outside of that. So my specific question then is why or how did he know to go to uh, the Dover's house to steal the items of clothing? Or was that a total coincidence? Yeah, broadcasted on the news. So he knows what it's in relation to, but the movie's unclear, and I think that's probably for the best. It's unclear as to whether he would know anything about how to aid in that situation or if it was almost like 
he wanted to be able to do it, but just knew he couldn't. So it's like he wanted to kind of pretend and play out himself as if he was the one that abducted them, even though he knows he wasn't. Hmm. But okay. yeah, I mean, I- interesting question, but uh, yeah, I think it's something that if you ever do get around to watching the movie again, um, you know, seven years later, <laughs> much <laughs> like I did, uh, that will kind of be cleared up. Cause I did have the same pause the first time, uh, and re- rewatching it. Like as soon as it rolled credits, I just looked at my wife and I was like, damn, that movie is perfect. Like, I, I genuinely can't think of a problem I have with it, but you know, who does have a problem with it? Me, Chris, Chris, Chris says he has uh, one minute, essentially. Yep, there's a single minute of this movie that's bad. <laughs> and it's when uh, Joy, I believe, gets rescued and Keller just dips. <laughs> okay, so... I hate that part of the movie. I think it kind why of do you Yeah, I think it's stupid, too. Because there is, there is absolutely no reason why he doesn't go to Jake Gyllenhaal, or I'm sorry, Loki, and go, they heard me, I was in this mm. person's house... We need to go there. And then guess what doesn't happen? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but instead, he sprints away, speeds off in his a truck, jumps over curve. the railing. What the fuck? And then, yeah, <laughs> it it was the one part of this movie where it felt like they were trying to get somewhere. With Absolutely. You know what I mean? I 100% I, agree. I, I, I disagree. Uh, to me, I think it all felt like it built into it perfectly well. The reason I say that is he's in denial about a lot of stuff going on, right? At first, leading all into this, he thinks both of them are probably dead. If you think about it, even though the cops and Jake Gyllenhaal discover that the guy was just buying the clothes, the movie never shows us the parents being told this information yet. And considering that Keller's out and about doing all this crazy stuff, he probably really doesn't know. He didn't even know the guy had committed suicide. So when you look at all these things coming together, he doesn't trust the cops at this point. He, there's a lot of scenes that build into it. You know, he's in the room with Jake Gyllenhaal, Loki, and they're looking at the pictures. And when he sees the picture of the sock, he says, Oh, you did this. You wasted time following me. He's in denial. He can't handle it. He doesn't trust the cops. He thinks that everything goes back to them. You wasted time chasing me instead of tracking down my daughter. And now mm. this is why her sock is here with blood all over it and this is why she's probably dead he's in a denial state so whenever he comes in and busts into the room regardless of the police clearly he doesn't have much uh, reverence for them at this point uh goes through here's that he's the only person that knows he went there and he doesn't trust the cops enough to do it so he's like i'm gonna do it to myself which again speaks to how he is throughout the whole movie he's not putting it in the cops hands because as far as he's concerned the cops have failed him again and again the cops let the guy out alex even though he didn't think that they should have until things were solved and figured out or at least a longer period he felt like every step of the way it was the cops failings so he was going to go out and be the and again like i mentioned with his dad or with the whole conversation with I felt safe around you. I, I thought this would never happen from his wife. This is him again trying to take control of the situation. I will be the one who fixes this problem. I'll be the one that solves it. Yeah, I guess and this is going to sound a little flip. I don't mean it to. It's just the example I come up with. But it would kind of be like it's kind of like buying Comcast cable. <laughs> and then This is a hell of a the Comcast. But it'll work, trust me. It's like you buy the Comcast cable. The Comcast cable keeps going out. It starts raining, the internet's dead. You know, all of a sudden you're in the middle of a movie, it disappears. And you call them out, call them out multiple times. They can't figure it out. So you climb up to the top of your telephone pole and start grabbing wires. 
That's the sure. same thing. And that's why I think but, it doesn't so, it doesn't make sense. Because more than anything else, all he had to do was just go to Loki and be like, I know where they are. Come with me or stay yeah. here. If you, I agree. You know, it, it it's just the way he goes about it doesn't make sense. Because Loki wasn't going to arrest him. What the fuck was he no, going to arrest he him per- for? He may have persuaded him not to go or any other things. But even then, I'm not even going to go off of that. So let's go back to the Comcast cable thing, right? <laughs> The way, the way I view this right, is yeah. the situation that you just set up on a surface level makes sense. If you look at both stories and give no context to say, here's a guy whose daughter is missing and he thinks he knows where it might be. He's going to go tell the cops and him and the cops are just the cops who are going to go and rescue the day. Okay, that's the same as uh, at least it's closer comparable to being like, oh, hey. Uh, my internet's not working and my movie went off and I'm just darn angry, but I'm going to go up and start doing something as irrational as pulling cables and stuff. I I think that where, at least for me, it lies that I think the movie did a good job is that the movie does all the building up to show why even something as irrational as that would come from this man who has been on an irrational downward spiral. None of his actions were rational necessarily. I mean, Mm. none of what he was doing was really like I said, you can look at it from a justification standpoint, but none of it's rational. You know, this is a man who's at wit's yeah. end and his his sanity has been frayed and he's just going out and he's trying to do things his own way because of where he's at. His headspace is not in the headspace of someone who's going to go, oh, this is it. This is a man who's gotten very little sleep over the past few days, who's been torturing someone. His mental state is way different than the mental state of someone who's going to be like, damn it, my movie keeps pausing because of the rain. (laughs) Yeah, but I don't think you understand how much I want to (laughs) But that can just be a disagreement. I mean, and that it's it's fair enough that that bothers you, but it's interesting to me that I literally did not double think that for a second. I was like, this is exactly what this guy would do in this situation because this is what the movie has described him as to me or shown me as him so far. I guess the biggest thing, the reason I disagree with you is because I feel like that character would have used that opportunity to take another dig at Loki. He would have been like, guess what, motherfucker? I know where they are. But I doesn't never that come in, doesn't that come in way go. better if he can go, guess what, motherfucker? I've got my daughter and you didn't fucking do it. Mm. wouldn't it be even better if he does it after he has his daughter and why would he worry about and this is another thing if this is a dad who's been losing sleep because of this situation having dreams about his daughter when he finally decides to sleep uh, which is very little why would you think that he would want to waste any time going to the anybody else why would he go to somebody who may slow him down at all if his if his daughter's seven days as we're kind of led to believe six almost seven days into this situation and he's unsure of what she's got going on and he sees the other girl who'd been drugged and all the stuff going on so he's just kind of like you know what why would i waste any time my daughter needs me and even though he's doing it as a ploy there's a scene that i think speaks a lot to it you know when he's in the car after the liquor store and he gets in the car with loki and he is coming up with kind of his bullshit story, mm-hmm. which also kind of has like some tinges of truth to it. Like he says he hasn't drank in nine years. I believe it. Yeah. And now he is drinking. And even if he's originally bought the drink, like you even mentioned, he, he says, well, you were the thing I needed to see to convince me. <laughs> in a way, it was just to give himself an alibi as to why he was doing it and what he was doing. But it was almost like it was his excuse to himself as to why it was okay for him to drink in this trying time. 
so it's like everything that's been happening and the culmination of that car scene when he's talking to him and he says every day that goes by my daughter's wondering why me why i am not there to save her not you fucking me and he starts beating the shit out of the car yeah it's you know i i don't know if i can describe this i mean and clearly blake agrees with you so this is not going to be a universal thing uh but the one thing that's for sure changed in my life that changes my con uh, the the context of this movie for me is that i'm a father now and you can even when i watched it before you obviously feel and you think you understand what it'd be like to be a father in this situation but when you actually are a father and you start to think about these things so many things that i've experienced that took a fatherly standpoint have changed to me so much because now i'm a father and you kind of get that like you always, you, you at least think you can kind of know what it's like to be a father, but until you are one, you just don't actually know what it's like. Hmm. And, and so for me, maybe that's what changes it for me, and it doesn't change it for Blake, who clearly is a father, but it does what? for me, at least. I mean, arguably. You're pregnant, Brett? <laughs> <laughs> you know it, baby. <laughs> it's, a, it's either Blake or the mailman. <laughs> it's just the last, the last thing I'll say, and then I'll kind of, pass the floor off it's just that the thing is he doesn't it's not like he just runs away and leaves. he he doesn't say anything to them on his way he jumps mm. a curb like there are just multiple times where yes he's in a panic and yes he's freaking out i know where, where she's at come with me just said something anything yeah and just keep running exactly. don't stop to talk Follow just me. run he doesn't scream. even have to Correct. Gotta, so yes, hop in your car. We got a dope Josh. car chase because of that, though. Tell, yes, even when, did. even when Loki grabs the back of the truck, the pickup truck, just stop long enough <laughs> for him to jump in. Like, there's just so many different ways. I agree. I don't know. And I think as a parent, I would want, you know, coming at it from your perspective as a parent, I think that I would want all the backup I can get. He doesn't know what he's walking into. If he thinks that she's the killer, yeah. I mean, you know, who knows if she's got someone else there with her or who knows what, so. Sure. So can we reframe that, too, one, for one last time? This would be my last kind of, at least why I still view it the way I do it. As you under, like, his actions following, I think, also speak a lot of what he's doing. He's already visited her once uh, under false pretenses already, and his plan is to not go there with a squad of police which may cause this woman to act out in such a way that she would go and kill the daughter, which he believes to be there now. Uh, instead, he's wanting to view it to where he's going to go and he's going to set up and have this gun and this rope and all this stuff. And he's going to come in under the guise that he is wanting to pay some penance, which also brings back the religious aspect and mm -hmm. that he wants to offer up fixing some stuff around so, the house for. Her. So clearly his goal here is to, again, not rational. Rational thought is out the window at this point. All he's trying, it's like half of it's there because it's rational enough in his mind as to how he can conceptualize that by bringing cops and everything with him. Well, that's what I was about to say. At more risk. And then, the, but the flip side of it is, it's it just as irrational as it is to go by yourself under this guise rationality is out the window just because he's having partial moments of rationality doesn't mean he's going to be fully rational across the board so i guess that's just kind of my ending point of where i kind of feel on it i felt like putting myself in his shoes i could see it you know I just, definitely under all the context of what he had gone through sorry i didn't mean to interrupt no go ahead i just think you're wrong that's, in the that's movie the end sucks. for me 
<laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No. If I better can throw go, in, you better go change that letterbox from a four and a half to a. Wow, one. dude! Spoiler Damn. alert. <laughs> now I am going to change it, so you're wrong. <laughs> God, no one cares about your letterbox. Um, one detail I would throw in. <laughs> um, uh, a, a thing, a, a minor thing that I felt like could contribute to his frenzied state and his piss poor decision making was uh, joy being like, you were there. It was you who did this. Like for Truth. a dude who's already like on his last fucking leg. Um, I, I could totally see that being a thing. That's just like, I, I fucking can't, I have to go and just like handle this. Like, I don't know. I, I'd be freaked out if I heard that. Cause it's just like, Oh mm-hmm. my God, what the fuck did she endure where she believes that? And when she says it, the look on his face is not immediately a look of, I understand what she means. At first, it's a look of, like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, and, and like, oh, God, they're going to think I'm somehow involved. Right. And then it let's goes be straight into, up. Wait a minute. Where have I been? You know? Yeah. He, like, he, something on whoever. his face and in his. <laughs> um, yeah, that that was uh, to what you were saying, Brett. That was something that I, I kind of got from his reaction, too. He wasn't reacting like oh my god my empathy for you it was like oh my god they're gonna be suspicious of me like this makes me look bad and i was like ah man this guy's really far down the rabbit hole if that's how he's taking it Mm, yeah and i mean and like i say the movie can in my mind the movie sets him up to where he is in that headspace he's way gone and he's questioning what he's done already with alex by that point because he thinks that he might be wrong and then that's like the snap moment where he learns that he's actually right (laughs) <laughs> yeah. it's weird there's a lot of stuff going on but uh yep a completely different thing to go off of unless anybody wants to oh well blake you were going to say something go ahead and round us off on that yeah the um it's a different subject but the same category it's something that i really hate about the movie um no movie should ever have a character <laughs> named alex jones every time they say that name all i think of is alex jones and i just can't <laughs> take it <laughs> <laughs> I know this was seven years ago. Well, he was still was a prominent uh, figure. What was his middle name? Alex Winter. I I don't remember his middle name. Because <laughs> when he was writing it down, I noticed it. I was like, oh, they there was a line. This man, a middle name. <laughs> there was a line of dialogue that was Alex Jones has the IQ of a ten-year-old, and I was like, there's no way that was accidental. So another just small thing since we've kind of moving on from that. Uh, and I don't know if this actually means anything. I just wonder if I'm even right in seeing it. Um, I wonder if there was any at all because, you know, someone goes through these costume designs. Someone chose this to be a thing. Did you notice that uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character, Loki, was wearing on his left pinky hand a Freemason ring? Mm-hmm. And I, I noticed the ring. I, Didn't I, I notice it was Freemason. Genuinely, I don't. I don't know. Speaking um, of Alex Jones, if that goes to anything, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that amounts to anything. But it is. It, it's one of those things where, like, the movie's got a lot of symbology going on. Definitely, once it starts getting into the maze thing, which I actually love. I, that, I know it sounds like I, I'm. I mean, in real life, it'd be creepy as hell. But in a movie where I know these things aren't real, even though the movie's incredibly grounded. Um, the maze all over the walls in that guy's house. I was like, this is super cool. Like, just from a stylistic standpoint, this is super cool. Uh, it's yeah. cool walking to the house and seeing a guy who's like very artsily drawn, even though it's like meant to be kind of crazy. These crazy mazes everywhere. It's just a cool, like, even the necklace. I remember the first time I was watching the movie, I was like, damn, that's kind of a cool necklace. 
Yeah. Yeah, it was a cool design. Okay. Um, you know, going back to uh, let's see, make sure I don't want to miss anything from my notes. They were kind of scattered on. Um, I guess for now we're going to go ahead and move on into. I've got a note the, about Jake Gyllenhaal's look. Yeah, boy, Jake Gyllenhaal's look. He's hard as hell. My He's, wife uh, was spooning over I him. I was hard as hell. <laughs> what? What? Dude, fucking same. <laughs> Um, I actually liked his jacket enough that I looked it up, and uh, I might fucking buy one. Do it, go. <laughs> do it, man. Be uh, your best, Jake Gyllenhaal. Uh, it, the thing <laughs> is, I don't know how many Scandinavian winters, which is what this jacket is made for, I'll encounter in Burbank, California. But mm, pretty unlikely. But you know, yeah, you know, j- just on the offhand chance <laughs> that it becomes minus ten and we get a blizzard here. Hmm. That way you just have one, kind of like the people who buy the leather Neo jackets, just in the <laughs> off chance that they might have a real use for it. Hey, if the apocalypse hits, I want to be stylish. <laughs> of course. that's Everyone wants that. So uh, one thing that we talked about early on, or at least uh, Josh actually mentioned in his early uh, statements, was the movie's soundtrack and score. Oh, yeah. And boy, what a soundtrack and score. So Josh, I'm going to let you head us off on that since it was uh, the first thing you mentioned, even though it's was for sure in my notes and I hope everyone had great things to say about the score, but go ahead, man. Yeah. I mean, I just, I I really dug, it it was subtle. Like there weren't like a lot of like big moments except for like toward the end, there were some moments where like it really kind of like came to life and just became super ominous and really drove. I, Mm. I think it did a fantastic job of holding back in all the right moments and just sort of being like textural, like ambience, almost just like a, a thing that just sounds like it could believably be in the room almost. And then it just mm-hmm. like, you know, there are these little pockets of like strings or what sounds like a artificially slowed down piano. I, I just, I, I loved the, the choice of tones used for the textural elements. And then just, yeah, how it came together in the end was really effective. And I mean, as someone who uh, loves exploring that kind of stuff, like on the making music side of things, I, I always love hearing that tr- uh, sort of stuff in effect because it's just inspiring to me to be like okay that's cool seeing them use this in this way but mm-hmm. uh, yeah on, on the film watching side of it too i i really enjoyed it okay blake do you have anything to say about the soundtrack not really i pretty much agree i um i thought it was really good and i think it fit the movie really well i didn't notice any scenes where it kind of stood out as bad or out of place or anything i thought it meshed yeah, with it I- really well yeah yeah, that's a that's a good way to word it, and I think Josh kind of hit the nail on the head with the uh, the great thing about the movie is that it knows when to pull back and not overuse the score. Uh, I think you know one of the things that people try to aim for when they make a score, like a good score, like what you're aiming for is to never steal the moment necessarily. Mm. You you don't want the score to be the only thing selling the moment. You want the score to be aiding the moment. You want it to be almost like the tone that the music is setting is believable to everything else to where you notice it. And if you just happen to have an ear for it, you can be like, oh, well, that's the soundtrack. But if you're just watching the movie as a whole, you're like, wow, that whole scene just had a aura about it that was all inclusive because of that. And sometimes, like you mentioned, sometimes the lack of a score or the bare minimum score where it almost just sounds like room ambience. Uh, is really interesting. So, uh, Chris, you have anything to add to that? No, the movie didn't. The music didn't really stick out to me, honestly. Like, it was good, and it definitely heightened some of the moments. It just wasn't something that I 
took particular notice of. The, the one thing that it really did for me, and definitely in a rewatch where I'm, I have a little bit more of a ability because I remember so much of it, uh, to still pay attention and look at it, but kind of listen a little bit more and kind of pick up on other things. Uh, I like how the soundtrack kind of sells the movie, even from the from the front side of the movie. Like you know, uh, this is technically a little off of the soundtrack, but it leads into it, and in that like pretty much all of the comedic relief and the lighthearted scenes in the movie are front loaded. It's like the movie gives you this hey here's a happy family doing interesting i mean yeah it opens on uh, the son killing somebody but that's like in the context of what's going on as you continue to go it doesn't seem weird and you see this happy family going on best friends going on walking down the street having fun kids being kids the parents laughing it up and going through all that and there's a scene where with everything going on the camera pull outside of uh the house is going in it kind of comes in on a tree and it's got like this kind of chaotic real quick this little burst and it's like oh, okay the soundtrack's the soundtrack is inadvertently if you're not if you're just watching the movie for the first time for sure it's inadvertently setting the tone for the movie mm-hmm. to come and it's like the soundtrack gets more chaotic and kind of more interesting when it does come up yeah and it's so ominous and it sets the tension for the movie really well and to me that's all it needed to do. It doesn't need to be something that it stands out to you on first watch for sure. Um, but I think it's something that for certain people, for sure, it's going to have more of a stick out for second watch. And I think it did a really great job at selling pretty much every scene, every scene that I think is really truly memorable, had a great score behind it. That was really pushing the tone and the tension yeah. of that moment. And for what it's worth, uh, I just looked it up. Uh, that was, uh, Johan Johansson who, uh, did a lot of uh, this director's uh, films. He did Prisoners, he did Sicaro, he did Arrival. Uh, and he was going to be on Blade Runner 2049. I, I don't know the details behind why he left that, but he also passed away a handful of years ago. But uh, his wow. work is fantastic. Yeah, very much so. I didn't know that. That's really cool. That's um hmm. interesting. And uh, it'll kind of lead into what I wanted to mention. If we're done with music, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, no, go ahead. Uh, with the cinematographer, he also did... A, a lot of this guy's movies he did prisoners and sicario and blade runner 2049 but he did yeah. uh more recently 1917 and all of the coen mm-hmm. brothers movies so big lebowski yeah. no country for old men true grit and then he Roger also Deakins did is a legend yeah he's incredible but he also did the village and in time which were two really bad movies <laughs> <laughs> hey the village is not a great movie but it is beautifully shot it might be i haven't seen it since you know i was probably well i don't even know when it came out 2004 so i was probably like 12 or 13 when i saw it but um (laughs) the village is a good movie that's bad Uh, you know i actually don't know that i disagree with that either but this is a (laughs) hey this is a podcast the village is a watch (laughs) you can get us to watch the village eventually I mean, I, I mean, I don't want to watch the village. It's just a yeah, good movie. Damn, okay. <laughs> Speaking of cinematography, I think the scene with um, where he's driving and the blood's pouring down his face was one of the most like beautifully it's, shot scenes I've seen in a long oh, time. Yeah. Amazing, oh, awesome. so yeah, good, really cool, and just a really good scene uh, you know, overall. 
Absolutely. Oh, sure. Uh, and and again, it's one of those great things of where the movie as a whole is doing so much to build it because like not only is it beautifully shot and kind of chaotically shot, and I love how it's kind of switching between the real perspective of where you need to see it and also his very blurry view and how quickly and frantically it's going through that to kind of sell and the and the score behind it's doing the same thing to kind of sell the urgency of the moment and yeah. the chaos mm-hmm. within that moment and his thought that hey don't die don't die come on come on be the one happy thing that can happen throughout all this uh you know it's very interesting um, yeah but yeah while we're on scenes let's go ahead and talk about scenes that everybody like because i think that this is one of those movies that even though there's not just a million scenes that are just oh my god that was jaw dropping i think this movie is framed and shot very well to where every scene benefits from the setup within which it was in. So any scenes that stand out to anybody from a visual standpoint or from any other standpoint? Yeah. I mean, um, the, uh, Josh here. Okay. I'll, start, I'll start with Josh. Sure. Sorry. I didn't aim that at somebody. Well, fine. Go ahead, Joshua. Okay. <laughs> I'll pretend to be as important as Blake is. Um, yeah. So the whole thing inside, uh, Bob Taylor's house with the mazes everywhere and the mm. cases. And when we first walk into that, uh, scene and it's just cases and a heater and we're just like, what the absolute fuck is this? Um, and then him like prying them open and just like, they're all full of snakes. And that was actually one that like, it a little bit pulled me out of the movie because it was just so like, what is happening here? It, it almost felt like a, like a mustache twist sort of like, and then there will be boxes <laughs> full of snakes. Um, but it, it I, ended up working in the long run. right on that because I think, I know that I enjoyed it much more the second time around because since I immediately knew the context and remembered what it was, I could mm. view the, <coughs> I could view it so much differently. Like seeing the heater makes so much more sense. Yeah. Like as soon as they walked in, she was like, what the hell my wife was. And I was like, you don't remember that there's boxes full of snakes. And she's like, Oh, that would make sense as to why you need a heater. I was like, yeah. <laughs> so all of this makes a little more sense if you're watching it a second time. But the yeah. first time I do agree that it takes you out a little bit from being like, this is such a crazy out of the blue thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But it, it was set up really well of just, we are stepping into the dwelling of someone who is deeply mentally troubled. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. All right, Blake, I think we're coming over to you, good sir. What's a scene that really stood out to you that you loved? That You already talked about one, but I'm going to give you another chance. Yeah, um, the scene where him and, um, uh, him by, I mean Keller, and Franklin, and Keller is just beating the shit out of, um, what's his name, Alex? I don't know why I didn't know his name. And uh, I just thought that scene was horrifying and, like, incredibly powerful. Yeah. I don't know. I just really not enjoyed is the wrong word because I didn't enjoy it. (laughs) But I don't know what other word to use. (laughs) But it struck you. Right, yeah. yeah. What I liked about that scene a lot was that it's right after we hear all the stuff going on between of course these two men where it's hey you got to do what you got to do to get your daughter you know either we've got to hurt him or our daughters die those are the two options you get uh, mm-hmm. and then you see him go in there but that's kind of it and then suddenly you see keller just absolutely welling at this man and you see franklin's only involvement realistically is just being complicit and holding him and not even really holding him all that well you know it's like yeah. with every hit that keller gives him 
Alex kind of slinks down and Franklin kind of kicks back in like, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm supposed to be I'm supposed to be part of this. I'm supposed to be doing this for my daughter. And it's just a really strong scene because I think it shows you the headspace of those two different men. And even though they're really close people and really good friends, how different they're handling this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, I mean, uh, Chris, uh, over to you, man. Oh, if you got something to add to that, Josh, go ahead, bud. Uh, my quick note was I, I felt like I was seeing a little bit of Paul Dano and Terrence Howard potentially like involuntarily like reacting a little bit because like Hugh Jackman was fucking yelling at this kid like right in his face. Like the, there were some uh, flinches that I believed might not have been like the actors like performances, mm. but just like human beings being <laughs> like, holy shit, this man is mad. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess the scene that I really liked was the one where um, I think it's the last time he tortures Alex in the shower and it's just the little bit of light and the the black mm. when he just like his eye just kind of I thought he mm-hmm. died in that scene because he just kind of fades and I just thought that was really beautifully done I really liked the scenes of him in the, the, the closet basically just like being tortured i thought the way they shot it is just all dark except that little bit and you see his just mm-hmm. fucked up face i thought that uh, i thought that worked yeah really well. and i, really I, I actually that. put that down in my notes any scene any of the scenes where they were showing the blackness of the shower with that just little bit of light shining in on alex was beautiful and not to stroke my own horn, but I think for anybody else who may see it, I mean, I think it stands up alone, beautiful on its own, but it is worth mentioning. And my wife was even like, good Lord, when this happens, it's so dark in here. Um, I do have an OLED TV. So those scenes were great because when it's black, it is black. Mm-hmm. You know, LED TVs have that backlight that they have to still deal with. So even in the black scenes, you still get to the light of the TV. But what's so great about that for me is like, the little bit of light that's coming through on Alex's face is legitimately the only thing lighting the room. So Damn. it's like you see the rest of this. It just looks like a, a cave of blackness. Oh. And you just see that strong light just bam. Might you throw a few shekels nice. towards us, rich man? <laughs> <laughs> this episode did, brought to you I by did Samsung. Take moment. <laughs> uh, it, it's, it's LG. I want to make. But yeah, I did use that. Uh, when my, my wife said that, she's like, God, when it goes black, it's dark in this room i was like that's what i paid for baby i remember the first day i bought the tv home she's like why would you spend fourteen hundred dollars on a tv and i said baby you don't realize this is normally an eighteen (laughs) hundred and to be fair it's something you use like all day like all the time so it's really worth spending extra money on so I could never go back. I genuinely mean that. You know, me and you have talked about TVs plenty of times, but I love, I go out of my way. Like, even if my wife is interested in the movie that we're doing, she doesn't always want to come to the game room to watch it with me. Right. Mm-hmm. But I insist. I watch every movie that we do on the game room <laughs> TV because I'm like, you just don't understand how much better it looks. It Like, it's so hard for me to watch something that I really want to enjoy, like a sitcom or something. Right. Fine. I can watch it on the bedroom TV or whatever. But if I'm watching it to actually kind of wrap myself up in the experience, it's going to be on this TV. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. But it just, it really sold that scene that much more. And I, I do, I love those scenes. And, and also, uh, I, I don't know if this is part of why you liked it, Chris, but I like the bounce between Keller kind of leaning up against and the really there's a lot of light in that you know in comparison it's like you're going from this light to this pitch black back and forth you know it's going between these and it just makes for a really striking memorable scene 
You know, I could be just kind of bullshitting, but I feel like now that we're talking about it, there's almost this, it, the that little bit of light kind of shows the difference between Keller and I, and the the woman Ooh, at the end. I can't remember her yeah, name. Yeah, Holly. Uh, yes, where he's giving a little bit of light, kind of showing that he's still mm. good. Where she just puts him entirely in darkness because there's no, she's mm-hmm. just entirely evil. Again, going back to the mm-hmm. good versus evil. That's interesting. Thing that this movie's got to. Yeah, that's going. actually really that's an interesting take. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't think of that, but that is true. You know, I mean, of course, Keller's intention was to put him in the blackness, but at least he has some light. You know, it's like, yeah, that's interesting. It's a good take. Do you have any other scenes that stood out to you though, Chris? No, that was really the big one that we haven't mentioned. That and the. Uh, the driving scene was incredible, but that was yeah, I agree. Really it. That's definitely where I'm at on those. Uh, okay, well, I think that we might have touched on everything. I'm scrolling through my notes real quick to make sure that we don't uh, that we don't miss something. I was looking at. Uh, I think the only thing we really haven't touched on, which is a good place to round things off before we go into our uh, our ratings for the movie, uh, is just really talking about how phenomenally casted this movie was. I mean, mm-hmm. this is one of those movies where I feel like every single character had not only an interesting role, like, you know, going back to uh, the town is the most recent example of like, you know, you, you kind of go, well, they casted John Hamm and nothing against John Hamm, but he's always kind of playing John Hamm. It's like in this movie, everyone was playing an interesting character that felt like it was kind of different for them. Paul Dano is playing a very different thing for him. And a, and a role that I have to imagine is really hard to play, and he does it very well. I just want to say one thing real quick. If you keep bringing up the town just to shit on it, we're going to have problems, okay? <laughs> that Sounds like I we already have problems. The, I, I didn't think, yeah. <laughs> You've got problems for thinking the town is some pinnacle of a movie, and I'm sure someone's screaming at me right now going, but Prisoners fucking blows! But, you know. <laughs> Damn. I mean, realistically, all of you liked Belko. There's a difference so between calling something a pinnacle of a movie it's, it and... Is. The town is, like, the greatest film ever. And just liking it. So... I would argue liking Belko is a worse take than the town is the pinnacle of movies, but that's oh, okay. Damn. I'll just. <laughs> oh man! Jesus. And by the way, Blake, just to throw just to, just to throw a, <laughs> a, a call back into our Belko experiment slash the town movie and all that, Red Dead Redemption Two. Oh my God! <clears throat> quit it. This all I have uh, to say. <laughs> the town is the Red Dead Redemption Two of cinema. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I guess I'm changing my letterbox reviews because the town fucking sucks. Apparently, apparently the town is bad. I didn't know. Right, One star. Star is the Ben Affleck of game developers. Oh, good lord! Well, it makes it. Hey, listen, it makes sense because in the end of the town, neither of them can shoot each other either. So they were playing right. with RDR controls. <laughs> Uh, so other other standout roles though honestly i remember this is the first time i've already liked hugh jackman you know but Mm -hmm. i feel like this was the first movie that i really saw with hugh jackman and back when it came out uh that really sold me on the point of like whoa hugh jackman is a much better actor than i took him to be like i I always thought he was good like he's a he's a totally competent really good actor but this is one of the things where this role much like uh, Josh was talking about in the scene between uh, the Alex Dano and and Terrence Howard and him, it's like I do agree. So much of this movie, I felt like was Hugh Jackman just touching into something and really becoming a character and 
exerting that character, that force of will in a way that I think led to a lot of genuine responses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that, that happened in a lot of performances in this movie, to be fair. Um, I think it's... and Sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I think it's Hugh Jackman's best movie by far. Um, the Damn. only one that might compete is The Prestige, from what I've heard, but I haven't seen that myself. Oh, yes. So. And I haven't seen The Prestige either. And the thing is, is rewatching this makes me almost want to dig that much more into a bunch of Hugh Jackman's movies. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's just, man, he's so good. You know, and I already thought this, and this is just a weird side thing, but even back when the movie came out, which was ironically the same year as uh, um, The Last of Us, whenever I, find, whenever I watched it, um, it was immediately like, man he would make a killer joel if they were ever going to do a last of us movie or series and not that i think they should but Mm -hmm. i'm just like if they if they do yeah they need to cast hugh jackman as joel and then i thought that even more again like you know hey double credit whenever they came out with uh with logan i was like logan's just another example of essentially (laughs) the same thing it's literally the last of us and the x-men universe (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it really is yeah uh, it's so, so good. yeah but so shout out to them and i've actually it, i've heard some things about terrence howard being a little bit of a diva and hard person to work with but shout out to his role in this i love thing. terrence howard he's so believable i do too and he's so believable in this in every bit of this role uh, yeah. i mean everyone is i i feel like his wife really sells the downtrodden can't you know she's beside herself with the guilt and overcoming and that's why she can allow herself to say something as uh, low of a blow as it is to you know i felt safe around you and i thought that we'd never have to worry about anything it's just everybody in this movie acted exactly as they needed to and Mm -hmm. that's great because i do feel like a lot of times in movies even minor characters will be cast in such a way as they they get underacted a little bit and you don't quite they don't quite sell it as a whole, the same way that this movie does. Mm-hmm. Any other actors that anybody wants to shout out here? I think we, I mean, those are clearly Viola the Davis. ones in me, but what's that? Viola Davis. Well, I, <laughs> I, I was actually looking, I was wanting to make sure that that was uh, the wife. So, cause I, I wasn't familiar with the name prior to this. Um, mm. She's great in this movie. So I don't know what else she's in. I don't know that I've ever seen her in anything else. Suicide squad. Oh, good Lord. Was she, uh, <laughs> We got him. The worst <laughs> of the worst. Tell me she's... N- <laughs> oh, man. I can't believe it. And I don't know why I can't even think of the character's name right now. But is she the, the head of the Suicide Squad list? Uh, Amanda Waller. Amanda Waller. Thank you. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The one who eats her steak disgustingly. Because right. she's so cool. I'm kidding. I don't know why. I don't know why I said disgustingly because I eat my steaks what rare. I just felt that that was the right word to Damn. say at the moment. <laughs> steak hater look you guys you guys want to know the sad thing i don't even like rare meat it's just when i was working at plan b i would get so tired of waiting for the (laughs) meat to cook that i would just take i would just say fuck it and i would eat it rare and then i started to like it for it huh yeah Yeah, i do i normally don't do rare uh i normally do medium rare but when I, I can totally eat a rare steak. It's just uh, one of those preference things. When I cook one or I'm like at my parents' house or something where they know how to cook steaks like really well and they know exactly what I like, or I'll order rare, I'll ask for rare or whatever, but or I'll cook rare. But when I'm out to eat, I usually mm-hmm. get medium rare because when I order rare, I feel like it's way too rare most of the time. Mm. Yeah. You know yeah. when you grab a good steak and it feels like a bag of sand? Uh, different movie. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> Say <Holy> it. Shit. 
that's a joke because I'm vegetarian. Man, anyway. I love that movie. Uh, yeah, I was actually about to say that. I was like, I thought that you were vegetarian, Josh, but you know that's that's cool. Doesn't mean you haven't grabbed a good steak. A good uh, a good black bean steak. If I had a good steak, right? I'd fuck it. <laughs> i am willing to try black bean burgers and black bean steaks but i've not done it yet all right well it's time to roll this movie uh podcast on out the door and we're going to close this thing off with our ratings and i'm going to start with blake who i've kind of uh technically spoiled spoiled. uh Mm. spoiler warning anyway we already gave the spoiler (laughs) so it's okay that's fair that's fair uh so you already rated it on Letterboxd, but now that we've gone through all this, have you changed your rating? Yeah, one and, and a half. Not, what is it? No. I give it a four <laughs> and a half. Stellar rating. Great movie. Stellar. Okay. All right, Josh, what we got? Four stars. How many? Four. Four. Okay, you're cutting in and out a little bit. I don't know why, mm-hmm. but that's okay. Uh, all right, so four stars and four and a half stars are two uh, first-time watchers coming in pretty high scores. Chris, what we got? This is a... I w- I'm going to say four and a half, but I would really want to give it a four and three quarters. <laughs> it's just one minute one minute of two hours <laughs> and 33 minutes. With? Hey, the credits are pretty really damn boring. score. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, for real though, that's a good score. If you have if you have one yeah. minute out of two and a half hours, two hours and thirty three minutes, if you have one minute that you find issue with, that's a fucking good movie. So, yeah, so I'm with absolutely. You. And the thing is, in most senses, I would be like, whatever, it's still a five star movie. Except I went, oh, what the <laughs> fuck? And I think that's that's where it kind of goes. And it's like, no, I got to drop it a notch. I think this is the first for me, but I'm going to give this movie a solid out five. Here we are. My love for this movie is, has been reignited. I always talk about this movie and I love it, but rewatching it has just further cemented where I feel on it. All right. Well, there goes our ratings. We have uh, nothing below a four. And I think that's the first time that's happened. Or no, I think Spirited Away was, we, we were pretty generous with it. Yeah, I gave it a three. So, so. either way. <laughs> so yeah i think you're right uh you did give it a three you're not joking right no i did yeah it's a three that's what i thought so yeah this is a high i think that this maybe parasite are the highest rated movies we've done so far well i don't think we did a rating I, for parasite so that's technically why this happened i dropped out so what did mm. you give it brett just out of curiosity i assume a five i gave it gave it that full-on five boy all right I gave it the full five inches, if you know what I'm talking about. All right. Don't brag about that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you all. Congratulations. You are average. <laughs> Why did you sound like the voice of the computer for, or the you know the voiceover from the Belko experiment? <laughs> he loves that movie so oh much. He's just if, imitating if it. If this is going to be a running joke. Yeah, he does love that movie. I'm sure he just sits around his apartment going, you have 30 minutes to kill three of your coworkers. <laughs> I mean, uh, fantasy and reality are not the same. Okay? I'll announce that okay, at my job guys. tomorrow over the PA system. Thank you so much <laughs> for joining us for this week's midweek matinee. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, are we back around to Josh being the move for who we're going to do for next week? Yes, we are. Okay, yes. Josh, so. let us know what movie we're watching. So here's the thing. I understand we have two days to watch our next pick, so I want to give you guys a little bit of leeway. I have two picks in mind. 
do you guys feel like diving into another substantial, serious movie? Or do you want to lighten it up a little bit? Because I have a pick that I'm actually pretty excited to watch on the lighter side. Pick the one you want to watch. What's the exciting pick? I want to hear Just what's choose exciting. the one you want. Uh, the most. Well, I want to watch them both, but I can't be in two places at once. I'm working on the Dr. Manhattan experiment, but I just haven't gotten the funding. Um, right. I'll play Rock, Paper, Scissors with you right now if you want. We can pick. You be movie okay. one, I'll be movie two. Shoot. Ready? Rock, Paper, Scissors. I was also Scissors. scissors. All right, let's do oh it again. God. All right, Scissor. Okay. Would you like to Would you like to say that <laughs> in like a more presentable way so I can cut it in? Because I will. Well, how should I say it? Hey. Say it. Go ahead. Just give it like a nice, like like you got to give it like a little Michael Scott kind of realizing he's got a joke. <laughs> like ah 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 ah. That's what she said. Oh oh oh, guys, you realize you just scissored each other. Rock, paper, scissor. Oh, shoot, paper. Rock. So that's movie one. Great, or movie two. Movie two. All right. Movie two. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we are watching the 1993 classic Groundhog Day. Oh, <laughs> oh shit! I have not seen I'm that. Cool with that. <laughs> no, I was just, <laughs> just going to throw so in to all the listeners that Groundhog Day is available on Netflix and Showtime with Amazon. So, bang mm-hmm. bang, and that's actually a good thing. We should try and know what movie we're going to do to the point where we can also tell them what they can watch it on, well, so that yeah. hopefully we can minimize yeah. how hard it is. I have an app called so. Just Watch, and you just search a movie or TV show, and it tells you everywhere that's streaming. Bang. Thanks. We're going to start using that thing. That's a good idea. Thanks, Blake. And that was actually yeah. part of why I picked this one. I was going through comedies on Netflix that I wanted to watch, and this was on there, and I was trying to keep something like accessible so we wouldn't have to keep spending money to watch movies. <laughs> Absolutely. Here we are. All right, guys. Well, just know that you can always find us on any podcast service. We hope you've been enjoying the show. We always ask that if you're on a podcast service that has a uh, rating system where you can give us a review and a rating, please do so. It lets us know what you like about the show, what you don't like about the show. And the most important thing is it lets other people know whether or not to give us their time. Then we hope that you deem it fit that they do. Uh, If you would like to support the show, you can always do so by heading over to our Patreon where you can get episodes a week in advance uh, as well as some other cool stuff. If you like video games podcasts, we have some stuff over there as well. We do another, or I do, uh, alongside my buddy Saul, a weekly gaming podcast uh, called Triangle Square, the PlayStation podcast. You can go check out. Uh, and you can always find us and all of our social media activities on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook and go like our page. And if you want to recommend us on there as well, we can take reviews on there. We really appreciate it. You can find us over on Twitter at matinee underscore midweek. And if I'm not mistaken, those are the places we are. But until next week, this has been Midweek Matinee, and we appreciate you guys. Thanks. Thanks to our patrons, Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green. My name is Dan. Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Villalobos, Corey Hickerson, Blake Popst, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, the Stonard, Travis Below, Eduardo Palomino, Stefan Swanland, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Chris Figs, Brian, Donovan Williams, William Digital Spooker, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Brandon Edwards, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, and Elch Beeb. Thank you so much. Hello, Looker, and congratulations. You have discovered the secret message. 
Midweek Matinee is produced and edited by Christopher Figueroa. Music is by Joshua Lago. Thank you for your support and for enjoying all these movies with us. And lastly, please send your iTunes reviews to Old Pink, Care of the Funny Farm.